I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I hope that, um, that it was filled with uh, time with family and, and friends. Um, it's always good. I always enjoy the time to just slow down um, and to, to really, uh, man, experience the, the goodness of God in our lives, even through uh, hard things like, like what Melissa has been through. So, so I hope you had a good time. I hope, I hope, uh, I hope you got to consider God's good provision for you. Um, I hope that you got to make memories with family and it was filled with joy. I also know that Thanksgiving can be, uh, and the holidays can, can just be really hard um, for, for a variety of reasons. So every time I come to this season, I just find myself praying. I think the Lord just puts it on my heart to, to pray for, for those who you come to Thanksgiving, you come to even Christmas, um, and even though you, you know that there's so much to celebrate, there's dread in it for you. Um, and, and maybe it's because, maybe it's because people that, that have always been at that table with you uh, for Thanksgiving or Christmas, they're not there this year. Or, or maybe, maybe it's not that anyone's missing uh, this year, but just being with family is hard. It, it's painful. Um, and I just want to I want you to know that God knows that. He sees you in that, right? He, he puts it on hearts of people to pray for you, even though you don't know there are people interceding for you. Um, so I, I just don't want to pretend, like even though I love Thanksgiving, I love Christmas, I don't want to pretend that, that it, is, um, it is only filled with joy, right? I know that there can be sorrow too. Um, and, and really, isn't that the, the, the Christian uh, experience in all of life, that, that we hold both joy and sorrow so often. Um, our, our theme for Advent this year is the feast. Um, we've titled it Hungering and Thirsting for the Messiah. And, and I just want to give you kind of the, the arc of, uh, of Advent, our, our sermon titles. I'll share those with you. Today is Starving for the Feast. Next week, Matt is preaching, and it's titled The, the Counterfeit Feast. And then on the 10th and the 17th, we have Jesus is the Feast, part one, and, and then part two. Uh, and then on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve morning, um, we're going to have our, our whole family together, like uh, kids with us, and, and, and the question is who's invited to the feast. And then we're kind of cheating. We're taking Advent past Christmas Day because um, we're looking forward to the, the second Advent, uh, December 31st, the, the future feast. Uh, and I'm sure you noticed our table up here. Um, it, it looks exactly like our coffee table in the lobby because we stole it. Um, it is our coffee table from the lobby, so I, I don't even know what they figured out for out there. And right now, um, it, it's, it's pretty bare. Right? There's, there's not much to it. Um, and it's, it's a fine table, but nothing gets you excited about how it is right now. It's a table that is capable of hosting a feast, but, but if you came to a house and, and this is the, the dining room table, uh, this would leave you wanting. Uh, on Thanksgiving or on Christmas, there's something about seeing the table as it fills up. Um, my mom always decorated the table, right? So there are, there are always candles and, and some other decor and as a boy, I really didn't care about that at all. It, looking back, like it was beautiful. I'm glad my mom did that. It helped with, with the atmosphere and the ambiance. But, but really, I wanted the food. 
I was excited for the food, and I remember as a kid kind of the anticipation on on Thanksgiving Day or on Christmas morning as more and more was added to the table. Man, I would just get hungrier and hungrier. I I just could not wait. And at first it was was just like a stick of butter maybe, right? And then then the plate of olives. Uh, comes out, and, and, then, and then maybe stuffing, or I don't know what you like. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, like sweet potato casserole, or uh, some of you like green bean casserole. Uh, I always stay away from that dish. Um, <laughs> the turkey or the ham or whatever, whatever meat you have, and of course the mashed potatoes and, and way too much gravy, and, and they're being added to the table. And soon, as a kid, I knew, all right, the, the feast is coming, right? We're about to eat. And I'd ask mom, like, when are we eating? When are we eating? And she'd give me updates. I, I just couldn't wait. And if we think through scripture, food is, is all over the place, right? There are feasts. There, there are famines. Uh, Jesus' first miracle takes place at a wedding feast, right? We read uh, language about hungering, about thirsting, about being satisfied, uh, let's jump to the, the end of Scripture, Revelation 19.9. John writes, he says, And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So on the 31st, like I said, we'll talk about um, uh, the, the, the future feast. But it, we'll, we'll talk about what this marriage supper of the Lamb will be. But this is, this is one of the final images that we have in Scripture. And it's really short. There's not much of a description to it. But there will be this feast with God and his people, right? Celebrating, celebrating who he is, what he has done, right? Celebrating salvation. Celebrating that, that God is, is with his people and his people are with their God finally. And I, I try to imagine that. I don't know if you try to imagine what that will be like. I have a hard time. Like sometimes I don't think I have the, the best imagination. So I have to take what I, what I do know in order to help me imagine a little bit better. But as I read Marriage Supper of the Lamb, I think of a reception after a wedding. And what a celebration it is. And I'm sure you've been to, to weddings, to receptions that, that are that way. It is, it, it is just this, this party. As, as you celebrate this, this couple. If you're married, um, uh, you, you had a budget, right? Maybe you blew through your budget, but, but you had a budget set at least. Um, and whatever that budget was, right? If it was bare bones or, or if, it was, if it was a ton, like my guess is that, that you, wanted to, you wanted every dollar that was going towards that reception to, to man, just make the time an incredible party an incredible celebration with, with your friends and your family. And I'm sure you, maybe you had people that came in from a long ways away, right, to be there for that day. And yes, the ceremony mattered, right? That, that's what made you husband and wife. But the reception is the party. The reception is the celebration, right? That's when, that's when I got to hug loved ones, right? That's, that's where my, my grandpa and my cousin that I hadn't seen in years flew in to be a part, right? That's, that's where you eat and, and you laugh and you hear stories. Um, and you just get to celebrate with those you love. And, and maybe if you're married, maybe your reception wasn't awesome, right? Maybe there's some hiccups, didn't go as you planned, or, or maybe, uh, maybe you're just so stressed being the center of attention that you couldn't enjoy it. But, but I'm sure that you've been to a reception that, that really is just beautiful, it is just a celebration. Well, that's sort of 
what, what the marriage supper of the Lamb will be like, but, but at the same time, like not, not really, right? It, it, that won't really compare, right? right? Someday when we're there, if you see me, you're probably going to say to me, like, man, Greg, you weren't even close in describing what it's really like. And we'll go, yeah, you're, you're totally right. I was so far off. But, but this marriage supper of the Lamb will blow away any reception or celebration that's ever been thrown in human history. There, there will be no budget. Right? We, we, get, we get just this picture um, right at the end of Scripture, and, and, it, and it's small. But even at the beginning, right, we rewind to the very beginning, we see food. Maybe not a feast, but we see food. We see good, good food. God creates everything. Adam and Eve are placed in the garden. Uh, it's a garden named Eden. And Eden is filled with all kinds of plants and food for them. Uh, Eden means, uh, the name Eden means the place of pleasure or delight. So Genesis 2, 8 and 9. You might be familiar with this. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So even before sin enters, uh, food is a part of creation. And I imagine, I imagine the fruit that was in the garden, right? It was organic before organic was cool. Um, and God places Adam and Eve in this garden of delight. But why does God give Adam and Eve food? Right? Certainly there's, there's this functional sense that they need food in, in order to live. But it's also different. Like I, I was walking through Costco uh, the other day, um, and, and I walked by. They always have that advertisement for, for some kind of heating and air conditioning unit. And, and it said, air is life. And that's, it's true. Like we absolutely need air. We need oxygen. Uh, we need to breathe in oxygen. But, but there's something different about our need for food. Right? We don't need it constantly, but, but multiple times a day, we, we realize I'm hungry. Like, it, it's time for me to eat. So we, we, have, we have this realization that we have this need that's outside of ourselves, right? We, we need something from outside in order to, to nourish us. So this food, yeah, Adam and Eve needed it to survive. Absolutely critical for our everyday functioning, right? Food fuels us. Even before sin, th this, is, this is what, uh, what they needed. And I love that God did this for us because so often uh, I find, maybe you find, that, that our physical uh, experience points to our spiritual reality. Right? So let, let's say you eat three times a day. Three times a day we have this reminder that we need something from the outside in order to nourish us, right? Something from the outside in order to sustain us. It tells us that, that on our own, we cannot make it. It doesn't matter how strong or smart or talented you are on your own, you are not enough. So your hunger that you experience every day, it's preaching, right? This, the, this, this beginning little gospel message to you, right? That you can't make it on your own, that you are in need, that you are not enough. I love that God did that, right? We can totally miss it, right? We can just think, oh, I'm hungry, and, and, and then go get food. But, but once you, or at least for me, once, once someone pointed this out to me, I, I can't unsee it, right? I, I, I can't avoid thinking about it, that the, the hunger I experience every day, when I'm paying attention at least, it points me to my need for God. 
Right? As much as I need food to fuel my body, I need spiritual nourishment. It's this reminder that I should hunger for God and his ways even more than I hunger for food. Right? We need our souls to be fed by the only one who can nourish it. So my physical hunger, when I connect the dots, it gives me, or at least it's an opportunity, to give me a hunger for the Messiah from the Savior of sin. So in the Bible, food and drink, it's used to picture so often our spiritual lives. And, and while many of us may not know what it's like to be starving, um, maybe you know what it's like to be desperate for water. This is what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 42, starting in verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So three times a day, I have this, this, this physical reminder that God has given me. Right? I get hungry. I want food. I need food. I, I need this outside source to live. I need this to nourish my body. And if we're paying attention to the language of Scripture, that physical hunger reminds us that we have this spiritual hunger that we need met. And so, too, with water. Water is critical, right? We can go a while without food, but, but you really can't go that long without water. So throughout the day, we feel this, this need to drink and, and how refreshing it is, especially on a hot day, right? Maybe, maybe you're working outside in, in the yard, uh, or, or maybe you're out on a hike, uh, or maybe you're, maybe you're catching a baseball game, and, and it is just roasting outside, and you, you go to get some cold water, and it's so refreshing, do we thirst for God? Right? Does your soul pant for the Messiah? There's this quote by uh, Pascal that you may be familiar with. and He doesn't use the language of, of hunger and thirsting, but, but I love how he says this. He says, There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus. He's spot on. And I suspect that even if you don't label yourself a Christian, right, even if you don't know yet what you think about Jesus, my guess is that, that you suspect that he's right. Next week, uh, the sermon is on uh, a counterfeit feast, so I, I won't jump into that, but, but you know what it's like to try and fill that God-shaped void with other things. Right? You know what it's like to hunger and thirst for things that have nothing to do with God or his ways. And what happens, you may not notice it right away, but it leaves you empty, right? You, you keep coming back to it. You keep drinking and drinking from that well, but you're just left wanting more and more. It's like you're thirstier and thirstier, you know, or you gorge yourself on, on, on things other than, than God and his ways, but it never satisfies like you think it will. I'm reminded of the story that, that Jesus tells of the, the prodigal son. I won't tell the whole story, but he, he leaves his dad. Um, he, he asks his dad for his inheritance first, leaves his dad once he's got the money, and, and pretty quickly he, he just blows through that whole inheritance. Parties, he ends up being totally broke, works the, the only job that he can find. He's, he's feeding pigs, and he's, he, he finds that he's so hungry that as he's looking at this, this slop or whatever he's feeding the pigs, he's wishing that he could go down there and, and with the pigs eat what he's, what he's giving them. But then he, he comes to his senses, it, it says. And he, he realizes, man, this pig food, man, this is not 
This is not what I need. This, this would not even be good for me. There's something better. All right? If he ate that, he, he wouldn't have been satisfied. So it clicks in his brain. Right? He needs to go back to his father. Right? Maybe his father will show him grace. And, and certainly, his father has everything that he needs. It's just like Adam and Eve with the fruit. Right? They, they thought it was going to do one thing for them, but it, it wasn't what they bargained for. At first, in the Garden of Eden, the, the thought of hungering and thirsting for God probably would have sounded like a, a pretty strange concept. Like, of course. Of course that's what they hunger for. Of course they have these deep desires for God. Uh, of course. Of course we're going to do what pleases Him and follow His commands. And then, and then we come to Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and, and this is after the, the snake right, tempts her, saw that the tree was good for food and there was a delight to the eyes and that the tree uh, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So sin comes in through Adam and Eve. They made this choice. They hungered not for God's ways but for their own way. They wanted to take the place of God in their lives. They wanted to be wise enough to, to decide for themselves. And, and from there on in Scripture, we read this language about hungering and thirsting. Right? Language about uh, famines, both physical and spiritual. People wasting away, malnourished in body and in their souls. Like was read earlier from Psalm 107. Some wandered in desert wastes finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. And, and, and you know what it's like. Right? You know what it's like in this life to wander in wastelands, searching and coming up empty over and over again. Uh, most of us maybe don't know what it's like to, to be so physically hungry that, that you're starving, right? We've, we've missed maybe a meal or two, but, you, man, you know what it's like for your soul to be starved. Right? You know what it's like? like, like the psalmist wrote, that it faints within you. But there's, there's good news, that we can cry out to God, and he hears us in response to us. Verse 6, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul. The hungry soul, he fills with good things, right? God fills up with good things. He, he gives us his steadfast, unfailing, never quitting love. He satisfies us, right? He does what this world can never fully do, right? We, we might feel moments of satisfaction, but pretty soon we're empty again. Uh, I love the imagery in Jeremiah. He writes, um, he writes about... Uh, Israel digging these, these cisterns, right? These, these tanks to hold water, to store water. And they, they, work, they work hard. They plan out these massive cisterns to keep all their water and then some. But he says they don't work. They don't hold water, right? They, they're leaking. And it's a great picture of what, what, uh, what happens when we, when we aren't running to God, right? When we're not going to him as the one who satisfies us. Remember the story of uh, John 4, the woman at the well. Jesus meets this Samaritan woman at the well, asks her for a drink, um, and eventually he starts talking about living water. 
He says, the one who drinks this water, they'll never be thirsty again. You have to come to this well over and over again for this physical water. But I'm talking about something totally different than that. Right? You drink this living water, and, it, and it, it'll be a spring in you, and it, it leads to eternal life. Right? Two very different pictures between Jeremiah's broken cisterns and Jesus' living water. And Jesus used uh, hunger and thirst language himself. Matthew 5, 6, like Ben read earlier. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who, who aim for righteousness. He, he didn't say, blessed are those who make righteousness like their absolute top priority. He, he didn't say, and, and I, wonder, I wonder if this would be true of, of most Christians, he didn't say, blessed are those who are lackadaisical, in their pursuit of righteousness. No, it's, it's blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Right? Nothing cavalier about it. Not, not, not even simply a really important goal. Instead, he uses hunger and thirst language. It's this, it's this deep, this deep passion, this deep need and desire for God and, and his ways. I... Uh, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I just, I don't know why. I love, I love podcasts. Uh, I, I listen to them at double speed so I can listen to even more podcasts. Um, and I, somehow I got in this survival stories podcast series um, and just, uh, man, I love it. I'm, I'm eating it up. No pun intended there. Um, uh, anyway, a, a lot of times in these, in these stories, uh, there have been people that, that are, I mean, they're starving. And I'll spare you the details. I don't want to gross you out, but it's, it's shocking um, what, what we'll do to survive when, when we need food. Uh, some of the things that, that we will eat that, that drive in us. Um, it, it's not just this important goal of I want to eat some food. No, it's, it, it's, it's life or death. Right? Do we hunger and thirst for God and his ways? Do we hunger and thirst for, for righteous living in God? Is following God not just a, yeah, that'd be nice if it worked out. Is it more like a survival of story, survival story of people who, who are lost at sea? And they've got to find a way to eat and drink. That, that's what this language of, of hunger and thirsting in Scripture is. It's a matter of life or death spiritually. So our physical hunger, it points us to this spiritual hunger that God has given us, right? This, this thirsting for water that we have, it points us to the longing that we really need to have to know God, right? This deep, passionate desire to, to know God, to be known by God, to know him so intimately that we give all of who we are to him, right? To know his great love for us. I don't know about you, but um, one, one thing really stuck with me from Matt's sermon last week as he was talking about uh, Jesus' words in John 17, and he, and he pointed out that, that the Father loves us with the same love that he has for Jesus. And that is shocking. Uh, my biggest fear uh, in adopting was that I might not feel that love for my, for my new daughter like I did for the rest of my kids. Right? I just didn't, I didn't know if it would happen. And in my brain... Um, it was like, man, how, how can that even be? Like, how, how can I love, how can I love this, this girl that, that, that I've never known before the, the same way that I love my biological kids? Um, I, I was just afraid that it wouldn't be the same. And, and part of it was I'd read stories. 
I'd read stories about some adopted parents that they just, they struggled. It, it took a long time for them to love their, their adopted kids just like their other kids. Um, and I even had a, had a friend that him and his wife, they're totally committed to, to their kiddo, um, uh, provided everything for them, desperately wanted to love them, but, but, it, but it wasn't there. It took forever to get there. Um, so I was pretty scared of that, that, that I wouldn't have that same, that same love for my daughter, Maddie. Um, but man, God met me in that fear. Like it, it, was, it was crazy. I mean, looking back, I loved her before I ever got to meet her. Um, and, and the moment I first held her, I was just like, this is my girl. This is, this is, this is my daughter, right? We, we, love, we love Maddie. We love Maddie with the same love that we have for our other kids. It is, it is no different. So this love that God has for his son, Jesus, he has that for all of his adopted kids, right? He has that love perfectly for us. Why wouldn't we hunger and thirst for a God like that? Why wouldn't we hunger and thirst to, to, know, to know Yahweh, right? Why wouldn't we hunger and thirst not, not just to know him, but to live for him, to just give everything to him? I, I just think this hungering and thirsting language is so helpful. So do you hunger and thirst to, to know Jesus? Do you hunger and thirst not, not just to know him, but do you hunger and thirst to live for him? The Old Testament believers, man, they, they, they knew about this promised Messiah, right? That the Savior would come. As the Atala family read earlier, that the promised Savior would come. They knew that the Son would be born, this Messiah. Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and, and, there, uh, and of uh, the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Had they looked forward to the day when this child would be born, when this son would be given, when the Messiah would come, right? the one from the line of David who would be the forever king, who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Old Testament saints, they waited and they waited. They longed for this coming Messiah. You could say they hungered and they thirsted for him. Uh, again, back to Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And then verse 3, I didn't read this before. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Maybe you don't relate to verses 1 and 2 that much, but, but I wonder if verse 3 might hit home for some of you. Right? you. You've cried so much that you could. It seems like you could feed off your tears, but you do not have to. Right? Jesus has made a way for you to be satisfied in him, to feed on him. Jesus gave his life in order to save yours so we can quit turning to, to all the things that never satisfy us and we turn to him. He invites us to bring our thirst and our hunger to him. I love this imagery in Isaiah 55, starting in verse one. As God saying, come, everyone who thirsts, right, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Right, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. 
Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Man, are you, am I buying food? Am I, am I drinking from fountains that will never satisfy us? It's amazing how prone we are, even, even those who know Jesus and have been following him for decades. It's, a, it's amazing how prone we are to continue to try what isn't working. And, and yet God the Father, even though we're that way, invites us through Jesus to come, to feast on him. Verse 2 keeps going. It says, listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So as we come into this, this month of December, as Christmas approaches, are we starving for the Messiah? Right? Do, we have, do we have a hunger and a thirst? Are we parched for Christ? Or are we just taking little sips when we should be drinking deeply from the fountain of living water. There are so many things about Christmas that, that my guess is we all enjoy, or a lot of us at least enjoy. And, and on their own, they're, they're fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with them. But we can also get really distracted by everything that comes with this next month as we prepare for Christmas. Right, is it the first advent that, the, that we're really celebrating, that, that we're really anticipating or is it just our traditions, our preferences, more than that first advent and our longing for the second advent, right? And I'm not at all saying, like, Christmas lights are bad. My goal is to put them up today. Um, I'm not saying that, that presents are bad. Both of those, actually, if we're, if we're paying attention at all, both of those are to point us to Jesus. Everything about this month can point us to Jesus. And really, everything about daily life can point us to Christ. And my hope is, my prayer is that in this Advent season, it would be one of, of hungering and thirsting for our Messiah. Would you join me in prayer? God, will you give us a hunger for you? God, God we thank you that you have made us with, with this physical hunger that multiple times a day we have, if we're paying attention, we have this reminder that we need to hunger for you, Lord. God, I thank you for the thirst that, that you have given us. Would, would our hunger, would our thirst daily preach to us this, this little gospel message all throughout our days, Lord? Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.